time ago. Um, <clears throat> um, uh, a pastor in my former church, um, we would, back in the infancy of technology, when your printer would never work, right? You would tell it what to do and it wouldn't work. And if you ever, if you ever waited to print out what you were going to present on Sunday, you could almost guarantee that you couldn't get your printer to run. And I've printed stuff off and on for the last couple of weeks. And tonight I was tweaking on my uh, content, my flow chart, whatever you want to call it, notes, and went in there and went to print it, and I went, this doesn't look good. <laughs> and guess what happened? I'll show you what happened. Watch this. So I printed, and it, uh, it printed page one okay, and then it printed page two on four pieces of paper, so I just tore off the other ones, and so this is, this is how it turned out. And some of it didn't get printed, but that's fine. So uh, we're going to be tonight uh, looking at a very familiar uh, portion of Scripture in, in the book of John, John chapter 3. Um, I, uh, I, there's always something I'm preparing for. I'm preparing for my next car purchase, even though I have cars. It's something that I just kind of think, hmm, that's coming one day, and not next month or next year, but it'll happen in the next three or four years. And so I kind of mentally prepare for that. I always have in mind a presentation that I'm going to give at a high school commencement address. And I don't know why. It's always a speech that I'm preparing. It just floats around in my head. What would you, what would you do if you were asked to give a commencement address at a high school graduation thing? In my opinion, the most over-celebrated thing in America besides a birthday. What have you accomplished when you've graduated from high school? You are now barely qualified to be the assistant night manager at 7-Eleven. You've accomplished nothing. <laughs> what can you get with a high school degree? Virtually nothing. It's nice. It's important. It's a step along the way. I also um, am always trying to buy another computer for some reason. And on some level, I'm always kind of preparing uh, the next time that I'm going to be asked to stand in here. And so this was the latest that kept floating to the top. And um, uh, recently, I <clears throat> uh, had an event occur to where it dawned on me that I had thought that all of these words or phrases meant the same thing. We just... We just said this phrase in Christianese, in church talk, in whatever we call this, and I'm being careful on the words I use here, and you'll know in a minute. Um, we use phrases over and over and over, and we just soon, sometimes we just string them together, and we talk that way in Christianese, right? And uh, it dawned on me that 
all of a sudden I realized, well, that's not what I thought it means. Like, oh, well, that can't mean that, because if it did, and it was that moment where I thought all along that I knew what this meant, and I realized that I didn't. And, um, and then it started this kind of cascade of things, like, do I really know what that means? Have I really thought and studied that out myself? Have I asked myself? And one of those phrases, among many, is the phrase that we use all the time in Christianese, and it's a phrase that we think is scattered throughout the Bible in hundreds of passages, and it's the word born again. And in reality, it only shows up in your Bible two times. And yet we use it like it's there all the time. And it made me think, okay, why did, why did Christ, why did Jesus use born again? Why did he do that? And so you start typing and you look them all up. What? There's, there's three and two of them are mentioned in back-to-back verses? And it was that moment I just went, wow, I, I don't know what this means. And we throw the words born again, I wrote off a list of them here, uh, words that we all think mean the same thing. I have a list of them here. This is not a complete list. But when I go through this list, you'll all go, yeah, they, you'll probably, when I'm done, go, yeah, those are all the same thing, like I did. Um, justified, sanctified, believer, saved, child of God, Christian, disciple of Jesus, redeemed, born again. If I say that list of words in most of your minds right now, you're going, yep, 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 yep. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah I know what you mean. Yeah, all the same thing. And they aren't. Now, do they all overlap each other? If we put a Venn diagram of all those words on this fictitious chalkboard I have up here, would they all largely overlap? Oh, yes, they would. But they don't mean the same thing. And I thought, well, on this particular one, wh- what does it mean? And uh, so I just, I just kind of thought, hmm, let's, let's drill down on this. And so in John chapter 3, This is a super, super common passage of Scripture that we have all read. We have all read it. We've all reread it. We've taught it in Sunday school. We have heard it preached on. We've heard it preached to us in Sunday school. And this is the exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus. And and what I want to do here is the first time through this, I just want to read through this. And I want you to take a look. And as we do, I just want you to watch for the words born again. And we're going to read through it. I don't know how far I'm going to go. I might go all the way to verse 21, but I don't know. We'll just see. If you're not in John chapter 3, we're in John chapter 3. And let's pray real quick. Lord, as, as we approach this, this passage of Scripture where your words are printed on this page, I, I pray you'd, you'd keep me mindful of what we're reading here and what these words mean. And that you'd, you'd guide this next few minutes here as we go through your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto, the, said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I had told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the but that through the world but that the world through him might be saved. I'm going to I'm going to stop right there. This goes on, and I wanted to read down through verse 21, but that kind of moves away from where I wanted to go. This idea of being born again. This is where it's at. This is what is referred to as uh, the law of first mention, or the idea, or the concept, or the theory of first mention. This is the first place in the Bible that this is used. And frequently with that understanding, it is defined there. And so what I want to do is I want to read down, probably not this far, and I want to kind of stop and analyze what's going on here. I want you to, for a moment, think about this as a conversation between Christ, Jesus Christ, and a guy named Nicodemus. Because that's what this is. This is a conversation between those two but it's not just between those two, and you can see that as we go through here. So imagine that Nicodemus, and if you don't mind, I'm going to refer to him as Nick. Because it makes a little more what we can understand. Nicodemus isn't a word we use. And if I say Nicodemus, your mind goes back to every time you've heard the word Nicodemus. But if I say Nick... It won't go there. And so I'm going to try to keep your mind from going there, if, you, if you'll let me, okay? And if I say things in the next couple of minutes here, I'm not trying to make fun of this situation. I'm not trying to be irreverent. I'm not trying to dismiss anything. But I want you to conceptualize for a moment what this discussion is really about. And it's way bigger than the, the 40 minutes I got, 30 minutes hour I got here tonight. Way bigger than that. Everybody's preached on this. There's a ton to be preached in here. And nor do I claim to know it all, but all that, that's here, of course. But it's very interesting that this is a physical conversation between two entities that actually occurred, and we get to read about it. And these words were spe specifically chosen by Christ because these are his very words. And it's interesting to, to read through it that way. So I want you to, as we go through this, just, just watch the words that are used and what's going on here. There was a man 
of the Pharisees named Nicodemus that almost sounds like a once upon a time in the world of Galilee, there was a man named Nicodemus and he was this and this and this. It's like a Disney story if you think about it. That's how the story, and it's not, it's an account, but that's how the story starts. And how, how is he described? A ruler of the Jews. A ruler. Let's take a look at the word rule. Somebody that makes the rules. Somebody that enforces the rules. Somebody that likes the rules. He was a ruler. And Jew, Jew, the Jewish faith, religion, concept is full of rules. And I think that's why this word ruler is used. Later, Christ refers to him as master, but he's a ruler. He's up the food chain in the Jewish hierarchy. He's the establishment religion. And he's got a position. So he comes to him by night, the ruler, the same, which is Nick, came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, I like this title, right? A little bit of reverence in his title. We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus and wants to have a conversation with him, and he says the word we, right? Look in verse 2, he says, we, we know that thou art a teacher. Now, I don't believe for a second, that Nicodemus came to Christ or Jesus with a completely transparent and open mind. I think that it's possible that the we in this person is somebody put Nicodemus up to this or Nicodemus wanted to know. So he got permission from his buddy Jew friends that says, hey, why don't you go over to him on the side when you get a chance and ask him this and just open the conversation with this and see where it goes. I don't think he's being deceitful, and I don't think he's being malicious. I think there was a genuine interest in Jesus. Nicodemus represents this, and he wants to have a discussion with Jesus kind of on the down low. Can we all agree with that? Now, I don't know if that's what happened, but it certainly could have happened, or slight variations thereof, okay? So that's what he's done. He's gone. He's opened the conversation, and this is what Jesus said. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Notice that Christ didn't hear, Nick didn't ask him a question. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, I don't know what verily means, I'm going to be honest. I just know this, that when Christ or Jesus says something back to back, it's really, really important. As a youngster, I remember saying verily, verily, and the pastor says, if you ever see that in Scripture, just understand it's very, very important. Okay, it is. He says it twice. Martha, Martha. What did he say over there in Luke chapter 13? Right? He says her name twice. Hey, Martha, right here. Right? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, Nick goes up to Jesus, and he opens with this concept, click, with the right, you know, in the right mind frame or mindset, wasn't being derisive and asks or, or states this, hopefully going to get an, a, some type of exchange going and Jesus just looks right through him. Jesus knows Nick better than Nick knows Nick. And he says that. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, Nick didn't see that coming. I promise you he didn't see that coming. And Nicodemus said unto him, how, how can a man be born when he is old? 
Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Um, um, so Nick has to cover for the... You can just see, he said that out loud. He said that out loud. How dumb is that? Nick knows better. He knows that you can't be born again. But, but you can be born again. You just can't be reborn. You see, born again doesn't mean reborn. It means another born. If I told you to dig a ditch, and I said, nice job, do it again, you wouldn't fill the ditch in and, and dig it again, right? You would dig another one. There, it's an addition to. And so Nicodemus has, has got the wrong definition of born again, first of all. So he's already, he's already, he's already on the wrong plane. God already, or Jesus already knows that. So Jesus says, verily, verily, listen to me, Nick. And then Nick asks a dumb question. And Jesus says, again, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born. He uses exactly the same words over, except the man be born. Born of water and of spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Why did Jesus say verily, verily again? I don't know. I'm not Jesus, right? But but he really wants this drilled in. This morning, Jeff used uh, read a scripture, and there was a list of things. And if, if it, there was a list of things, and in that content, he said the word above all. Or in the Bible, it says above all, comma, and then he read on something else, and it reminded me. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's important. And some of it's more important than the others. Can we? It's all important, but it's it, it can't all be equal. It can't all be equal because Jesus is verily, verily. This is more important. That's why he said that. So this is more important. It's not that other things are less important. It's just they're all important, and this is up here. It's still important, right? It's more important. Nick still doesn't get it, and neither would I. Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot. So he, he gives Nick a little slack here. He says, okay, I know you weren't going to get the born again thing the first time. Let's give you another run at this. Now you have to be born of spirit, or born of water and born of spirit. And he knows that that isn't a good enough answer to Nick. And he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So he clearly defines two separate borns, right? Born this way, born this way, okay. And then... Uh, almost humorously, in my opinion, marvel not that I say to thee, ye must be born again. What? And then he kind of defines what I think is being born again. Here in verse 7 or 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but whether it goeth so, oops. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. So now he defines this born again by giving you example of what the spirit might be if you could conceptualize it, right? He says it's like the wind. When I was in the third grade, we had a 
book with short stories in it that we read for English class. And it was a, there was a story called The Ransom of Red Chief. Long story, I'm not going to tell you. But these kids were kidnapped by some bad guys, burglars, low-level burglars, for some ransom. And they thought it was going to be easy to steal these kids in this little kind of goofy story. And they were going to hold out ransom for their kids and get some money and move on. And it was not a mean story. It was a fun little story. And the kids were just so, they were enjoying this. It was like a play day for them. And they would ask these adults that kidnapped them all sorts of goofy questions. And one of the questions was, does the waving of the trees make the wind blow? We don't know where the wind comes from, right? We watch the guy on TV and he talks about the weather. And I go, yeah, I know. And you kind of look in your phone. But where does the wind come from? I don't know. It's air blowing around. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know where it goes. And I have a little bit of a science background. I just know that the air is moving around. And I don't know where it comes. The other day I was trying to, it was sunny, and I wanted to get outside and get some sun on me. And I was trying to find a spot in the yard, because it was cold out. It was like 62, but it was sunny. I'm trying to find a spot in the yard to put my chair where the wind wasn't blowing. I don't know where the wind's coming from. And, and being born of the Spirit is like that. If you, if you live, what's it say? So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You don't know if this, this idea of wind, this movement, this is of the Spirit. You, you don't know. That's what you're, that, if you're born of the Spirit, that's how you're, that's how you're manifest in your conversation. It's not that you're random and chaotic. You just don't know where these things come from. And that's what being born of the Spirit means. And then the last thing Nicodemus says, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And and then the conversation which at this point seems to me it's clearly cordial. It's not rude. There's no accusations here. It's not contentious. This conversation, this is where, depending upon how you read this, I mean physically say the words and utter them and talk, you can create a different conversation by, how, by your inflection and the way you read this. And the first Half a dozen times I read this, I read it one way, and then I read it another way, and I would purposefully put more emphasis as I read this out loud to myself, and I go, man, this this conversation, it doesn't go off the rails, but man, does Jesus just drill in on this guy. And he does it in a way that Nicodemus would understand. And then I got to thinking, now wait a minute, as you get down in this passage of Scripture, there's other people there. It's not just Jesus and Nicodemus. There's other people there. How do we know that? Let's learn. look down at verse 22. I didn't read this. But this conversation ends with Nicodemus right about here. Then Christ starts teaching again, and he's teaching to everyone that's around. He goes from Nicodemus coming to him asking a salvo of a conversation that Nicodemus never gets to have. He never gets the conversation that he wanted. Christ just takes it and goes the, the, the way it needs to go. And if you look down in verse 22, it says, After these things, Jesus came and his disciples, Jesus came and his disciples, Jesus and his disciples, thank you, 
After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. After all that happened with Nick, Jesus and his disciples went to went somewhere else. That's what that verse says. So that means that his disciples, some of them were around when this conversation between Jesus and Nick was going on. And it's evident because as you read through that, you go, okay, this really isn't designed at Nick. There must be some other people here listening, right? You've had that conversation with adults and you hope your kids are listening. Or you had that conversation with your kids and you hope other adults are listening. Okay, I have. You've been in a store with your son. Guys being a jack wagon. And I said, Duncan, hey, when you grow up, don't you ever act like that guy. Right? I'm calling the guy out and I'm talking to my son. You get the sense that Jesus is doing this a little bit as you read this through. And the purpose of the first half of this that I wanted to to dial in on is the concept of being born of the Spirit. To be born again, you need to be born of the Spirit. One thing that I noticed that when Nicodemus came to Jesus that night, Jesus didn't launch into a salvo like you would a junior church lesson about say these seven words and be saved. Jesus didn't go ABC, pray with me, now you're saved, yay, bye, and go on to the next thing. That isn't even close to what happened. Clearly, Nick is lost. Clearly he is, because he goes on and he gives the greatest line-by-line explanation of Jesus, his his birth, his, his death. The whole gospel is presented there. As concisely as we know. I mean, come on, John 3.16 is in there. This is, this is how concise it is. Yet, it starts off really with being born again. And although born again ties into salvation, they are separate things. And you know why they're separate things? Because they have different words. God wouldn't have, have put this in here. Christ wouldn't have put this in here if they meant different things. And they mean different things in subtle ways which I don't want to address. I just want to know. I want, I want to drill in on this being born of the Spirit. Um, I'm going to take a course here that, that may sound a little irreverent, and it may make a comparison to some different people, and that's not why I'm doing it. I want to reinvent this conversation in a way that I think doesn't improve on this. I just want you to see the weight of this conversation if it happened between two different people. Okay? And so I'm going to I'm going to read this scripture over. I'm going to put two different people in this conversation, and I'm not doing that to to mock the words of Christ. I'm not doing that to say and comparing these two are like, I'm not doing that. I just want to reread this with a different approach and, and see how life-changing it would be to Nick if this happened last week in Detroit to Nick. Okay? So picture yourself at the 2024 auto show, international auto show, at the big convention center in Detroit, which I don't know if it even exists. But Detroit is having a big auto show. All the giant auto manufacturers are there. All of them. 
the guys in Europe, the guys in Asia, the guys domestically, I don't know wherever they'll send me cars, they're all there. It's the big thing. They're rolling out their concept cars. They're talking about hydrogen vehicles. They're talking about who knows how they're powering vehicles, right? And all the big boys are there. And there's a guy there named Nick. Nick works for General Motors. General Motors is a company that's been around forever. General Motors at one time was the biggest company in the world. They had cap, market cap of way up here with B's and B's and B's of dollars, just billions of dollars. And Nick was uh, vice president or president of research and development for electric cars. Nick got brought over from Saturn. Remember when Saturn made the EV1 back in the 80s? It was the first really commercial electric car in modern times. Actually was way more successful than we thought it to be. Most of the people that got those cars, you could only lease them, um, loved them. They had a range of a couple of hundred miles. Um, they were ugly, um, but they worked. You plugged them into your house. And they brought Nick over from Saturn to GM because GM wants to roll out this electric thing because they know that right now the world's going electric. So Nick's at this auto show, and they're all there. GM's got their Ford's got their thing. Everybody's got their thing. Daewoo, Honda, Hyundai, just start naming cars. Tesla, um, Ford, I just saw one over there. And they're all there. And they're over in the electric wing because Nick's ruling out the electric cars for, for GM. And Nick knows he's got a big road hoe. Because right over there is Tesla. Right over there's Tesla. I mean, he can see them. Their, their booth's even nicer than his. And um, everybody's gathered around Tesla. Everybody's over there looking at that, including all the manufacturers. All the people, all the participants in the symposium are all over wandering through the thing, but Tesla's always got a crowd. They got their latest Model S sitting over there, and it is gorgeous. Shiny, all the stuff. I don't know what's in it, but it's everything. There's no electric car that's even close to that for, for modern consumption, for the general public. Yeah, Europe's making some super high-end stuff, but nothing's close to that Model S. And uh, Nick's just going, what are we going to do? That's what we got to do. Nick's got the pressure of the, of the company on him. Nick's trying to sell their concept car to the public that don't want to look at it because they can look at this concept car and go, that's ugly. The Model S looks good. And Nick's torn. His buddies are standing around. And uh, he looks over there, and he notices there's Elon Musk. Well, there he is. And Elon picks up his phone, and he kind of walks away from the thing, and he kind of walks over away, and and he gets close enough to the GM booth that Nick can kind of hear what Elon is saying. Kind of. And he goes, I think I heard that. And Nick, Nick looks around. He goes, okay, nobody heard that but me. And Elon walks back into the thing. Time goes by. Goes back to the hotel. Everybody's the convention hall clears out largely. Everybody goes back to the room. But Nick remembers something that he heard. And so he's back at the suite with all the other big wigs, drinking, doing whatever they do at a car show. And I don't know, I just made that up because I've never been to one. 
And uh, Nick kind of goes like this, and he says, Oh, I left some stuff down at the booth. I need to go get it. I need to work on that for tomorrow because we're doing this thing that you told me I was supposed to do with that stuff. And they say, go ahead. So Nick goes back down, shows his badge to the, to the guy to get in the convention hall. And it's about 9.30, quarter to 10 at night. And he walks in and he kind of goes over and mulls around by his booth that he has. He kind of wanders over to that Model S, hoping what he heard was right. And he looks up. And in walks Elon Musk. Handful of people with Elon. Elon walks over. And Nick realizes, here's his shot. That's Elon Musk. That's the wealthiest guy in the United States. He does whatever he wants. He goes wherever he wants. He builds whatever he wants. He says whatever he wants, and he's a reasonable guy. I don't know Elon Musk that well. I only see what you see. But I do notice this about Elon. He's very guarded in his words. If you've ever watched him do an interview, he has a very halted speech pattern, and he's very guarded with his words. Um, so Nick kind of goes, here goes. Because he knows he can approach Elon, because he's seen other people do it. So he walks up to him. And Nick walks up to Elon Musk. And he said, Oh, by the way, Elon purchased uh, Twitter. And his handle at Twitter is, anybody know? Chief Twit. That's what Elon called himself on Twitter, is Chief Twit. That's what he calls. It's his self-applied title. Nick walks over to Elon, and he says, uh, Chief Twit, we know that thou art a manufacturer of all things in the universe, for no man can do these things except he has special revelation. And Elon answers and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of lightning, he cannot see the future of the electric car. Sounds kind of dumb, doesn't it? Thank you for laughing. <laughs> Think about that. Nick walks up to Elon, and Elon says, unless you're born of lightning, you'll never get it in the electric car world. And Elon's just looking through this guy. Uh, I just wanted to talk about battery production. And Elon just looks through this guy and says, unless you're born of lightning, you're never going to make it in the car world. And Nick, and Nick says to Elon, how can a man be born of lightning? Can he first be born as a human and then of lightning? And then Nick realizes that just came out of his mouth. 
right? Can you imagine saying that out loud? Nick said, Nicodemus said this to Jesus. Nick at the auto show said, how I just said born of lightning out of my mouth. And Jesus looks and then Elon looks back to him right into his eyes. And he said, no, seriously, except ye be born of a human and born of lightning, you will never make it in the electric car world. And now Nick realizes, oh, this guy's serious. And he, I mean, I can look over there and see that Model S. He does this. This is real. That which is born of human is human, but that which is born of lightning is of lightning. And then he says, marvel not that I say he must be born of lightning. Can you imagine what it would be like to be Nick at the auto show next month and Elon Musk says, you must be born of lightning and Elon is serious. That would blow your mind. You can't even tell people that you had this conversation. That is so crazy. Nick can't go and tell, okay, I I met Elon down there at the thing downstairs last night and he said, we need to be born of lightning. He goes back to the board and tells them that. Uh, Nick, uh, go work for Honda. He, he can't even say that. He said, the lightning striketh where it wants, and thou can hear the sound of thunder, but that canst tell whence it cometh or where it goeth. So is everyone that is born of lightning. Oh, my word. He's talking about lightning and thunder and electric cars. I had a battery question. Can you imagine what it would be like standing there in that situation where you thought you had a clever chief twit comment to enter into a conversation with Elon, and Elon knows this. He almost sees you coming, because if you read down here, he says, okay, i got to be lightning, born of the spirit, or born of, of lightning, thunder. And then he says, how can these things be? So Nick, standing there in front of Elon, he just shakes his head with that puzzled look and goes, What? And Elon's not done. Art thou a CEO and head of development of electric cars at General Motors and knowest not these things? How did you ever make a car, buddy? How do you even know what to do if you're not born of lightning? I can't imagine. That's how crazy this had to have sounded to Nick that night, Nicodemus. How could he have possibly fathomed that? And all of this to drive home the concept of being born of the Spirit. He said, uh, and then if you translate this next word into Elon talk, if you would, verily, verily, I say unto you, I mean, Christ uses verily, verily four or five times through here. We speak, then he goes over and he says, we've put out our processes on the internet. This is in the public domain. We've shown you how to make cars like this, and you're still doing that. Did you know that Elon did that? 
Tesla did that. They put a ton of their technology out here. Make these cars. We need to improve the world. Make these cars. It's free. This is how I'm doing it. Yet he's continuing to innovate, but he's putting his stuff out there. It's not all a secret. And I've showed you this, and you won't understand this. You don't understand cobalt and lithium ion and charging programs. You don't even understand battery stuff yet. And I'm talking about lightning. How can you ever believe my lightning stuff if you don't believe how to make a battery like me? And this guy, and he says, art thou a CEO? I mean, I mean, Musk knows this guy's a CEO in development of General Motors electric cars. And now he's going, he knows who I am. Right? Can you imagine how crazy that must sound? This is the first time Jesus uses the words born again. He casually mentions it over in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is it. Being born of the Spirit. If you're born of the Spirit, it's as if you are governed by the wind. That's what Jesus says. And I think sometimes we throw out the phrase being born again, like saying, whatever. We just tack it on in Christianese, wherever we want, when we think it fits. And this is what it means. It means to be governed by the Spirit in a way that acts like the wind. It doesn't have a real beginning. It doesn't have an end. You don't know where it comes from. You can feel it. You can smell it. You can taste it. But you really can't grasp it. I mean, can you really grasp and understand the wind? Where does all the air come from? It just moves around. What really pushes the air? Does just heat push the air? How come mountains make weather? I don't know. It does. And that's the way that Christ uses to describe how the Spirit should be in us. And if you're not doing it, if you're not in the Spirit, you're never going to get there. And I'm not trying to make this comparison too weird, but Nick at General Motors is never going to get to Tesla because he doesn't think that way. He's still thinking cobalt and lithium and batteries and char. He doesn't even get it. And he can see the Model S. He knows people drive the Model S. He sees them on the road every day, and it makes him angry every day because he didn't make that car, and he had the EV1 back in 1980, and how come they can do it and we can't? And on some level, I think Nick wanted to know. That's why he went to see Jesus. And he asked a question, and Jesus just drilled down on it. And by the way, if you, if you look at this, if you read this through kind of a harsh sense of what Christ is trying to say, ultimately he moves off of Nick and he starts talking to his disciples. Because if you get past like John 3, 16, 17, 18, 19, he's actually talking to his disciples through, through Nicodemus. Because he's, he's talking about stuff that he explained to his disciples earlier. We don't have time to go through all that. It's really, really interesting. Because he talks, then he, then he goes back and, and, and talks about being condemned because his whole Jewish thing and condemnation and being condemned. And he's trying to explain to Nick 
how he's already condemned, but he's really talking to his disciples because they're kind of questioning some of his stuff he's teaching them too. I mean, it's a very, very nuanced conversation. But, but the idea is to, to be effective in your conversation with the world, you have to be in the Spirit to do it. Two more things, and I'm done. And you know it's going to involve something about shooting. So yesterday, I still compete. I compete with a completely different mindset now. And um, uh, um, I... Uh, Wednesday or Thursday, I was going to go up to that place and shoot this gun, my 22. I got a high-end 22 pistol. So Thursday, I took it to the office to see if it run. Couldn't get it to run. Um, I don't know if it's an ammunition problem. I don't know if I got a busted firing pin, uh, but it's in, it's inconsistent. Uh, and a gun, a tool that doesn't work for me goes in the trash. If a pen doesn't write, it goes in the trash. If a pair of pliers doesn't plier, it goes in the trash. I don't have a problem. I just it's gone. Don't. If a printer doesn't work. Whew. So I decided I was going to, I don't want to shoot that gun. Uh, I'm going I'm to shoot my revolver on Saturday. So this was Thursday night. It was Friday. Couldn't get it to run Friday. Took it, took it again Friday. Couldn't get it to run Friday. So I took my, uh, I took my um, revolver to the office on Friday night and ran some stuff through it to see if it would run. And to, to kind of reacquaintance, reacquaint my, reacquaint, re something, uh, Acquaint, reacquaint myself with a revolver. Different, different cadence when you shoot a revolver. Different mindset when you shoot a revolver. It doesn't have an optic on it, just open sights. Okay. So I work on some stuff, got some drills that I work at, and I said, okay, if I can nail these drills, and I work on them, and, and it worked. And I'm going, okay. So the confidence is back, right? I feel confident now. So I get up Saturday morning to go to the, go to the match. All the gears there, make sure everything's done, lay it all out, go through the checklist in my mind so I can sleep. Tick, check, 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 check. Do all of that because to mentally prepare for a match, it's, it's, you, you, you have to clear the clutter out. Anybody can go and shoot the targets in order. That's not hard. Anybody can do that. Anybody can. But to excel, all of your mind has to be cleared of everything. Stage one, I get there and I'm talking to some people. It starts at 930. I'm talking with some people and they announce the uh, squads. I'm in squad one. That's fine. I look down there. I go, okay, this is something I like. <clears throat> this is something I'm comfortable with. This is a stage that I can do well at. And um, so put on my gear, <clears throat> and you have to go to the safety table to take your gun and put it on your person. You can't just pick your gun up and put it on your person. You have to be at the safety table. It's just a universal safety thing. That's fine. Walk all the way down there, put my gun on the thing, and I'm coming back with my gear. I come back down, and I'm back on uh, uh, bay one. And uh, they said, Dan, you're up first. Cool. I like being up first. Um, great. So, one, two, three, four, five. Got five spielers. That's in the thing. Done, done, done. Glasses. Cool. I'm good. So, I walk down there and I step in the box. RO's not ready. And I go, okay. Two big, giant steel gongs over here, close, real close. Two small stuff over here, stoplight in the middle. Okay. So, right to left or left to right. Draw the first target, it's bigger. Kind of go through the mental checklist. I know the, I'm going to shoot these two, these two, and then the stop plate. Or I'm going to do it in reverse order, and I kind of go through the mental thing. Okay, okay, I'm fast. I want to, I want to draw to, the, I want to draw to the big stuff first. I don't want to, I want to slow down to the end. I don't want to hurry to the end, because when I hurry to the end, I get to the stop plate too fast. So I'm doing all that stuff. I go, I make my dog hit. This is what I'm going to do. 
move my feet, check my draw, do all this. Checklist is just huge. You can just, this checklist is just going, 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 going. I'm ready. Do my pattern. Do it. Hold. Burn it in. Inhale. Exhale. Boom. Hands on, th thumbs on cheekbones. Ready? Stand by. Boom. And it blows up. These giant gongs that are spitting distance, if you're a good spitter. Spitting distance. I miss them. I mean, they're right there. Just boom, boom. Move over here. I missed one. I have to come back. I might have missed it again. I move over to the small plates. Boom, boom. Got eight rounds in a revolver now. They make them with eight. I got eight rounds in the revolver. Come over to the stop plate. Click. I missed four times on four targets. I go to the stop plate and it goes click. So now I have to reload. Reloads two seconds. All the math just burns through my head. I'm going to go, I'm going to take a 30. Taking a 30 means that's the maximum time you can get on a string. Shoot five strings per stage. You get one mulligan. So I'm taking my mulligan on the first day, on the first stage, on the first string. I'm taking my mulligan. Okay. My mind's not in the right place. So I kind of change things. Okay. A couple of misses. Can't hit the small. I transition. I transition too hard. And now I'm thinking about transitioning too hard. Miss the stop plate. Got to make up on the stop plate. There's six tenths. I'm doing the math. That wasn't good. Third string, fourth string, fifth string. And I'm just going, ugh. So I uh, eat a 16. So this should have been a 12-second stage for me, 11.5, 11.8, 12-second stage. I eat a 16. Slap that gun in the revolver. <sighs> okay. It's over. Check the box. I, I was shooting for me. I told myself, I know how to do this. I'm good at this. This is a stage that lends itself well to me. Ugh. And at some point, there's a part that already gives up. I almost give up right there. Like, okay, the day's over. Why did you come? And some of those intrusive thoughts come in. I'm just telling you. Okay. I go over and do some stuff and talk to Cheryl. Cheryl's this little old lady. She's like 70 million years old, and she can barely hold the gun. And I talk to her, and she's always nice to me. Okay. That's done. Stage two. And I go over to stage two, and I look at stage two, and this is a stage that you have to be careful on. It's one of those stages you have to be patient. It doesn't mean slow down. It just means you have to be patient. Let the gun get there. Then pull the trigger. I know it sounds stupid. Let the gun get there. And so as I approach this stage, I realize that I just had a dumpster fire. And the only way not to have another dumpster fire is to do the process. To shoot effectively in, composition, in competition at the highest level, you cannot think about it. There is a process that you drill into yourself in practice and in training. There is a process that you do. And after a while, you, you, as you develop and your skills improve, stuff happens when you shoot. You have no conscious effort of pulling the trigger. You don't feel the recoil. There are times you don't even hear the gunfire. Your, your focus gets so narrow and so pinpoint that all you need to, so I, I, I knew this. So before I go in the box, I prepare myself. You know how to do this. Relax shoulders, stand up straight. Just kind of remind yourself of what you do. Then you get in the box and you go, okay. Just let the process run. You've done this hundreds of thousands of times. Just let the process run. Shoot. Shoot in the zone. Get in the zone. Okay. So I just calmed myself. 
Same process, same everything, different mindset. Just see what you need to see. Just see it. Just see it. That's it. Just see this. Do it again here, 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 here. Just see it. That's all I have to do. The gun will go bang. The ammo is good. Everything's there. The process is in place. You've done this before. You know how to do this. Just see it. So I know I have to get in the zone. And so the first string across, there was a little purposed. I was very conscious of seeing it. And it was perfect. 353. Okay, it's real easy to let your guard down. You have to do it again. You have to do it five times. 353. 349. 351. 350 something. Each one of them was shot perfect. I haven't made a miss on this whole stage. This is as fast as I can shoot this with a revolver. And I'm just making sure that I don't remind myself of that. Just do it again. Stay in the zone. Stay in the zone. Stay in the zone. And on the last string, I just said, okay, just see it a little sooner. Just a little sooner. And I ended on a 320. It's the first stage that I've shot in years. I shot perfect. I didn't have a miss. And almost every one of them increased in time. And on the last one, I pulled off three tens. And it is... It is this emotional, I don't know who I beat. I didn't care who I beat. I wasn't shooting against anybody. I still won the, the pistol division. I didn't, that wasn't even the thing. But I was in the zone. I put it all aside and I let the training come forward. I let all that preparation come forward. And I just got out of the way. I just, I just let, it's almost as if I was in third person watching me do it. I observed me doing this. That's how weird this is. And it's because I was in the zone. And I know that's where I need to be. I can't shoot my best when I think about it. I can't. I'll think about position of my finger on the trigger. I'll think about which way my toes are pointed. I will think about if every primer was set in my reloading press line. My mind will filter through hundreds of intrusive thoughts if I let it. I just have to get in the moment. Burn it in. Inhale. Exhale. Focus on the first spot. Thumbs on the cheeks. Say what you want. And this calm, this calmness comes over you. And that and the timer goes off, and it's just this explosion of activity. It's over in three seconds, and you're calm again. And that's what being in the zone is. And I realized that's where we all need to be in our Christian life. Our conversation with the world needs to be in that spirit. We can't do it on our own. You can have almost no influence on somebody if it's just you. We can't influence the world for Christ if we're doing it. And it's, it's really a simple process. And today I was wondering, how do I end this? How do I get to the end on this thing tonight? And I didn't have a good ending. And I'm sitting there this morning, and Jeff says, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Okay, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5.
the moment that I when I have a dumpster fire I have to move past that I can't let those intrusive thoughts come in that has to be done the flesh has to go away I have to be in the zone I'll never get there again if I don't and I have to recognize that I'm there I can't blame anybody or anything. I just have to recognize there, and I have to put in process a process to get out of that, to get back there. Because if I, if I keep trying, the biggest problem I have is I try. If I try to shoot, if I try to do that, trying is thinking. Thinking is, is conscious. That messes up the whole process. You have to rely on your training. You have to rely on the process. And, and, and when we're not in the spirit, how do we get back there? There's a process. And I thought, what is the process? When we notice that we're in a situation, wherever our conversation in life takes us, work, dog park, store, yarn barn, restaurant, wherever, and you realize traffic, and you realize that you're, you're manifest, not manifesting the, the, the work they're not manifesting Christ in your life. How do you get back there? How do you get back in the spirit? Is there a process? How? how? We all can sometimes recognize we're not there, but what is the fundamental steps to there? What are the first steps to being in the spirit? There's got to be a process. God just wouldn't say, oh, here's what you need to do and not tell us how to get there. And in that mindset, as I was thinking, sitting right over there thinking, how, how do you get there? Jeff turns us to a piece of scripture. Turns us to Galatians chapter 5. Turn to Galatians chapter 5 if you're not already there. And he talks about, <clears throat> um, it's notice, you see the kingdom of God here, and it says in verse 21 of Galatians chapter 5, um, and they which do these such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Very similar to seeing the kingdom of God. He uses different verbs, so inherit and see, two different things, but they're very similar. Right? We're still talking about the Spirit here. Right? But the fruit of the Spirit is, and we've all read this a hundred times, and we get down to verse 25. And he says this, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Well, this is almost like talking about lightning again, right? It's hard to understand. What's the difference between living and walking in the Spirit? There are two different things. Living is being. Walking is doing. So I can see that connection. But what's the process to get there? He's, he's extolled all these sins earlier in the chapter. He's talked about the fruit of the Spirit earlier in the chapter. And he says, if you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And this is the first steps, the first process to getting back in the spirit. And it's the next three, it's the next three verbs. Look in verse 26. If you're not in the spirit, to get back in the spirit, it says, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the process out of yourself and back into the Spirit. 
What's the first one? Desirous of vainglory. Is, is that just a fancy phrase for pride? Is it? Desirous of vainglory? Are all of us kind of wanting that on some level? Wanting to be elevated, glorified, honored, noticed, served, taken care of? Isn't that the selfish nature that we are? That's one. Be not desirous of that. Provoking one another. This is talking about the brethren. Agitating, poking the bear, irritating one another. How can you be in the spirit if you're irritating one another? And envying one another. He has what I have. They have what I want. This, this, is, this is not being this are the steps out of that flesh that we all live in and to walk in the Spirit. These are the first three steps to get back to where we need to be. And when we recognize that we're in that place, these are the likeliest culprits of why we're in that place. And this is how we back ourselves away from that flesh and our conversation in the world. And we move into the Spirit. And we walk in the Spirit. Pride, provoking each other, and envying each other. Stop doing that. And you can move back into the place where we're all supposed to be. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for this passage of Scripture tonight. The opportunity to read through it again. I just pray that tonight we'd be mindful and, and honest with ourselves of where we are and what we need to do to be and walk closer to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.